Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers. I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. You know, October is National Clergy Appreciation Month across this land. And according to the Hartford Institute for Religion Research, there are more than 600,000 clergymen and women serving in Christian churches in the United States. Now, Peter Drucker, the late leadership guru, said the four hardest jobs in America are, and not necessarily in order, President of the United States, President of a University, the CEO of a hospital, and the pastor of a church. Now, you might be thinking, what? Pastoring's a dream job. I mean, think about it. You get to read the Bible all day. You get to pray. You get to play a little bit of golf. You get to preach. Who wouldn't want a job like that, right? Well, the reality is the job of a pastor is 24-7 and carries unique challenges with it. According to the Barna Research Group, the average size congregation in the United States is 89 people. And what that means is, that means for the majority of churches across this land, staffs are small and needs are great. In many situations, the pastor needs to be a Bible teacher, an accountant, a strategist, a visionary, a computer tech, a counselor, a public speaker, a worship director, a prayer warrior, a mentor, leadership trainer, and fundraiser. And on top of all that, pastors are some of the lowest paid professionals in America. Now, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of obeying God if he's calling you into ministry. I'm just helping you count the cost. (laughs) And so the title of this message today is A Day in the Life of a Pastor. And that's what we read here in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. Because Moses could be called the first pastor in the Bible. And what we read in our text today was a day in the life of Moses. Now, in our text, the Israelites had been wandering in the wilderness for 38 years up to this point. And the majority of that time was due to their unbelief. They didn't believe that God could give them the promised land because there were giants living there. You see, they'd already been in the brink of the promised land first the one time. And they, because of their unbelief, didn't believe God. And so God decided they were going to wander in the wilderness now until all the unbelievers died out. And yet God continued to provide for them even though they were wandering in unbelief. He gave them water from rocks. He gave them manna when they wanted food. When they didn't want manna, he gave them quail to eat. I mean, listen, you know, chicken is good, but quail, man, that's a whole lot better. And you're in the middle of the desert. God could have very easily just gave them chicken to eat. May have been cheaper, too. I don't know because quail is expensive. But God picked the very best. He gave them quail to eat in the middle of the desert. my, My friend, we serve a God that can not only meet your need, but do it in the best way and the best way to give him glory. Can I have an amen? It don't matter if you're in a spiritual desert. God knows where you are, and he knows the needs you have, and he can give you the best that you need. Hallelujah. And during that time, they're wandering in unbelief. The Bible says their feet never swelled. 
They, their feet never swelled up. They didn't get blisters walking around. And during that time, their clothes never wore out. My friend, God can make your clothes last as long as you do. Hallelujah. God can either bless you with new ones or he can make the ones you got last longer. Come on, somebody. We serve a God that can do anything. And the thing is, he kept doing these things every day, even though the majority of them were walking in unbelief. My friend, God is patient toward us, and he is merciful. Can I have an amen? Where would we be if it wasn't for the patience and the mercy of God? We wouldn't be here today, that's for sure. Many of us would be dead already because God has spared our life, and he's protected us, and he's brought you through uh, many, many trials, and he's kept you through many things, and he has been faithful to us. And God did the same thing for the Israelites. So we see Pastor Moses here. And Pastor Moses, he dealt with complainers the whole time that he was leading them out of slavery in Egypt and taking them to the promised land. They had been slaves for 400 years. And Moses was leading them out of slavery, taking them to the promised land, and yet they complained the whole time. Which goes to show you, even when you're trying to help people, they don't always appreciate it. <laughs> You see, they complained over and over again. In fact, here's some of the times they complained. They complained when they left Egypt because Pharaoh was chasing them. Then they left because the water was bitter. Then they complained because they were hungry, and God gave them manna. Then they complained because they didn't like the manna, so he gave them quail. Then they complained because they were thirsty. Four times they complained about Moses' leadership. Then they complained because there were giants in the land and said that God couldn't give them the promised land. Then they began to complain against God. Fourteen different occasions the Bible records the Israelites complaining. You know, people haven't changed much, have they? People still complain today, don't they? They do. I complain. You complain. In fact, they tell us that 85% of pastors say their greatest problem is they're tired of dealing with problem people such as disgruntled elders, deacons, worship leaders, worship teams, board members, assistant pastors, the list goes on. 85% of pastors, again, people haven't changed. It goes on to tell us that 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living. My friend, this is the state of the church in America today. And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. We as people of God should want to come together and serve God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love each other and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what the church is supposed to be like. Can I have an amen? And yet we see in our text on this occasion the Israelites were complaining again about par for the course. <laughs> they were complaining because there was no water. And they came to Moses and said, Moses, you brought us out here to die. And so Moses, he goes and he prays to God. And God tells him exactly what to do. He says, Moses, I want you to go and speak to the rock. And the rock will bring forth water. And so again, in verses 10 and 11, it says, Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, listen to what he says. Hear now, you rebels. He called them rebels. Now, these were not just regular church people. These were complainers. These were people who were rebelling against God. These were people who for 36 years have been wandering in unbelief because they didn't believe God, and he calls them a bunch of rebels. He says, listen to me, you bunch of rebels. He says, must we, now notice this, he gets to looking at himself. Anytime you start looking at yourself 
and your current circumstances and get your eyes off of Jesus, the problem is going to seem bigger than your God. And Moses said, must we fetch you water from this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he hit the rock twice. That's not what God said. God said, you speak to it. But Moses was angry. He said, I've got to give you water from this rock. And he takes it, and he hits it twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Now listen, I'm not here to point a finger at Pastor Moses. Because I'll be honest with you, the, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I understand why Moses hit the rock. And I'll tell you why. I believe the reason he hit the rock instead of speaking to it is because he was frustrated and tired of hearing the people complain. And so I believe he hit the rock to keep from hitting an Israelite. I, I believe that's why he did it. I really do. Because, again, look at what he said. You bunch of rebels. Must we fetch water? You see, he's, he's focusing on the problem. And he forgot completely what God said. And any time, it doesn't matter if you're in leadership or not, any time you get your eyes on the problem and off of Jesus, you're going to go down the wrong path. You're going to do something in your own self. And so you see, we should probably thank God that Moses didn't kill an Israelite like he killed the Egyptian in Exodus 2.12. I mean, Pastor Moses did have a criminal background. <laughs> Come on. If they'd done a background check on him, he wouldn't have passed. Uh, Moses, uh, pastor, it, it says here you killed somebody. Uh, you know, he did have a temper, and, and we see it here. And again, this is a day in the life of Pastor Moses. And this also shows us that Pastor Moses was human, just like us. I, I mean, you're in the desert. It's hot. People do things when they're hot that they don't ordinarily do. When they get hot and they're hurting and they're hungry, people will do things and say things they don't ordinarily do and say. Come on, somebody. We're all human. You know, ministry is tough, and people will try your patience. And that's what they were doing. That's what was happening here to Moses. I'll tell you, we've got so many stories of ministry in our years of ministry. We've been, this makes 31 years of ministry for Crystal and I. Yes, I started when I was five. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. No, I, I was a little, little bit older than that, but uh, I'm going to share a couple stories with you today just to let you know that um, ministry is not all you see on Sunday mornings, that there is more to it. I remember one time I did a funeral for a family whose daughter died from a drug overdose. Tough, tough situation. Funerals are one of the toughest parts of ministry. It really is. And uh, and this, this daughter that died from a drug overdose, she was, in her, she was in her 20s. And so this, just a young life snuffed out way before her prime. And uh, in this particular family, the parents were divorced. She lived with her mom. Her dad didn't want to have anything to do with her. And so she basically grew up in a single-parent home with her mom for most of her life. But when she died, the dad steps in, and he agrees to pay for the funeral. He was wealthy. The mom was barely making ends meet, and so he agrees to pay for the funeral. Now, he, said, he, he was Jewish, and I also believe he was borderline atheist, too, because the more I got to know him, the, the more I, I'm convinced of that, and I won't go into all those details, but, but the, mom, the, mom wanted, the mom was part of our church at that time, and the church we were pastoring, and so uh, the mom wanted a funeral done at the church, the dad, however, wanted it done at the funeral home because he didn't want to set foot in a church. 
But he decided that we're going to do the funeral of the ch- funeral home. And the mom said, listen, I want it in the church. So I ended up preaching two funerals for the same person. Oh, yes. So we held the first funeral in the church. And so the day of that happened. And, and by the way, the Assemblies of God Church in Huntington is the old Jewish temple of the city. It's a historical landmark. And so I'm, I'm preaching this funeral. The first funeral is at the church. And I'm preaching the funeral, and I'm preaching it, and of course, it's a sad, sad occasion. And I look in the back of the church, and guess who's sitting in the back? You guessed it, the dad. The dad came. He found out the church was the old Jewish temple of the city, so he decides to come anyway. And I look back, and not only is he back there, but all of his family, the dad's side of the family, is sitting back there. And this thought comes to my mind. I'm preaching a funeral, but this thought comes in my mind. That's why I can identify with Moses. Who do you think you are making me preach two funerals? You said you wouldn't come, and you came anyway. Where's me a rock to hit? That thought crossed my mind while I'm preaching that funeral. I promise you, I am human, and Moses was human too. If I had a rock, I would have hit it. I would have. So we, we, went through, we got through the first funeral. When it was over, the mom and her family, they came up. They thanked me. Pastor Doug, thank you for doing that and for the words you spoke. The dad's family didn't say nothing. They just walked out. So I knew the next day I got to do the same. I got to do a pre- preach a second funeral. Now, how do you preach to the same crowd two days in a row a funeral without saying the same thing? I mean, there are just people. You know, people just try your patience sometimes. It, it keeps you prayed up. It really does. So the next day I'm at the funeral home. I'm preaching the second funeral. The mom's family is sitting on one side of the building. The dad's family is sitting on the other side of the building. And I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm preaching Jesus to them. I'm telling them Jesus is the one who can comfort them. He's the one who can heal your broken heart. He feels your pain, and I'm just telling them. And they're all staring at me, staring at me like they could kill me. I promise, they're like this. And I'm preaching, and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? And I'm just saying, Lord, Holy Ghost, you got to help me. So finally, I close, and I say, please, let's everyone bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so I close with prayer. And, of course, at a funeral, you know, when you're done, the, the preacher always stands at the head of the casket. And most time, they'll have people come by for the last, the last walk by, and the pastor's there, and you know, greeting people as they go. And so as people are walking by me, they're not saying nothing to me. I mean, they're just, if, if, even if they look at me, they're glaring at me. And the dad comes up to me and he says, don't you ever tell us to bow our heads again because Jews bow to nobody. And I'm thinking, what? I have never heard that in my life. I mean, I've read the Bible through many, many times. I've never seen that in there. You know, the Jewish people are all through the Bible. Jesus was Jewish, amen. He wasn't American who spoke with a British accent. He He was a Jewish man. I burst some of y'all's bubble. I'm sorry. He was, he was for the Middle East. But anyway, and I'm thinking, so I, I'm in the funeral procession, and I start praying, God, you have got to help me. I've already preached two funerals for this family because they told me to. Now I can't even pray. What in the world am I going to do? God, you have got to help me. And he reminded me that the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. That's why when I was preaching about Jesus, They were staring a hole through me. 
because they weren't receiving anything I said. I said, okay, Lord, well, that, well, that don't help me one bit. That makes it even worse. What am I going to do? And then he reminded me, we had a deacon in our church that every time he prayed, when, he was, when it was his turn to be an usher, when he would pray over the offering, he would start his prayer the same way every time. He would say, Oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God, we thank you for all you've done. And God reminded me of that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's the ancestors of the Jewish people. And then God reminded me that the Jewish people, it is very important, the Jewish people, for family blessings. They believe in family blessings. I said, okay, Lord, I got it. I know what I need to do. So at the cemetery, we're there on the hillside. I read some scriptures there, and I look up, and the grandmother, the matriarch of the family, is sitting right in front. And so when I'm done with the scriptures and saying what I want to say, I look at the grandmother and I say, could I, have, could I pray a blessing over your family? And she said, yes. And they all bowed their heads. <laughs> and I prayed, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I prayed everything on them that I wanted to say to them in that funeral. I'm telling you, people will try your patience, but God can tell you what to do. Can we give God a praise today? Hallelujah. God is good, but people will try your patience. So if you ever see me looking around like this, I'm looking for a rock to hit, to keep from hitting somebody else. (laughs) But the thing about Moses, Pastor Moses, he was a man. He was a regular person. And Moses allowed his anger toward the people to cause him to disobey God. His anger got the best of him. You know, used correctly, anger can motivate us to stand up against sin and oppose those who oppose God. Like David, when he went against Goliath, David said, who does he think he is defying the armies of the living God? And, David, and there was a holy anger that rose up in David. And it went at, he went on there and he took the giant down. Anger used correctly can help us to stand against sin. But used incorrectly, it can cause us more problems than we realize. Anger can get the better of us if we're not careful. And so verse 12 tells us, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Listen to that. Moses and Aaron knocked themselves out of the promised land because they let their anger against people cause them to disobey God. My friends... Whatever people are doing against you, no matter who's coming against you, remember God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Don't seek revenge. Forgive them so you can be healed, so you can go on with your life and give it to God because I promise you, God is big enough to deal with your enemies. And he is big enough to handle it. Don't knock yourself out of your promised land because of you're letting people get under your skin. Don't do it. You know, pastors, they want to obey God. Yet many times they have to deal with criticism and rejection, loneliness and betrayal, weariness, lack of support, lack of respect, frustration and disappointment. And so I often pray this prayer. I say, God, help me not to knock myself out of the promise that you've given me by allowing my feelings to get in the way of obeying you. 
My friends, that's a prayer that we should all pray, whether you're in leadership or not. Lord, help me not to allow my feelings to knock me out of my promised land because of the way people are treating me. You know, even though Moses disobeyed God, did you notice something about the story? God still brought water from the rock. He still provided for the needs of his people. Now, God didn't have to do that. Moses disobeyed. God could have said, okay, Moses, you didn't do the way I told you to. Therefore, nobody gets anything until you do it the way I told you. But God didn't do that. He still provided for his people because God is a merciful God. He's a just God. We sang about his reckless love a while ago. Anybody glad for the reckless love of God that will chase you down? He'll tear the walls down. He'll give you water from a rock even when the leaders are disobedient. Hallelujah. That's why it's important to pray for our leaders of our country. Pray for our pastors as well because, and determine to live for God no matter what anybody else does because God will meet your needs if you're true and faithful to him. You know, I'm determined to live for God. I'm determined to lead my family to closer to God regardless of what anybody does because I learned a long time ago there are plenty of other churches out there, but I only have one family. And if it ever comes down to choosing between my family and the church, I'll choose my family every time. Amen. You do the same thing. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You see, pastors have to deal with a lack of respect a lot of times. According to the Barna Research Report, it says the profession of pastor is near the bottom of a survey of the most respected professions, just above car salesmen. Now think about that. Pastors are just a little bit above car salesmen, when it comes to people's respect. Again, people haven't changed much. When you look, read through the New Testament, Paul had to write two letters to a young pastor named Timothy to encourage him. In the first letter he wrote to Timothy, it appears that Timothy wanted to leave the church at Ephesus, but Paul encouraged him to stay. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So Paul was begging Timothy to stay at Ephesus because he was going to Macedonia and to tell them, don't teach any other doctrine, just keep preaching the gospel. Well, by the time the second letter was written, there is good evidence, the Bible scholars say, that Timothy may have been considering leaving the ministry because of the afflictions that he was facing. So Paul tells him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. He says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. My friend, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Timothy was facing afflictions because of the ministry, and yet Paul told him God's power and love and a sound mind is what keeps you going through the tough times. And my friends, no matter what trial you're facing now, God will not give you that spirit of fear. He will take it from you and give you power, love, and a sound mind, and he'll help you through it as well. If you believe it, give God praise today. Hallelujah. And God still provided water for his people even though Moses messed up. You know, that's the great thing about God. God often answers prayers despite the mistakes of his leaders. I make mistakes as well. I remember years ago when we were evangelists, we were preaching revival in Stanton, Virginia. 
And it was a week-long revival. And about the second night of the revival, there was, we were having prayer on the altar. And there was a lady who came up wanting prayer for her lost children. She came up. And she said, I need prayer. My lost, I want my children to be saved. I said, yes, ma'am. God wants to say, God can save them. I believe that. Now, I had just put a Tic Tac in my mouth. Now, it wasn't the, the regular size Tic Tac. It was the big one. They had just came out with the big ones, about the size of a cert. But, you know, it's still shaped like a Tic Tac. And I put that thing in my mouth because, you know, if I'm praying with somebody, I don't want to have bad breath. So, I, you know, so she comes out, I want you to pray for my lost children to be saved. I say, yes, ma'am, God wants to save them as well. And I begin to pray. I put my hands on her cheeks. And I'm saying, I'm praying, devil, you let go of her children right now in the name of Jesus. And when I said Jesus, that tic-tac left my mouth. <laughs> I'm, as, I'm telling you the truth. I felt it leave my mouth. And I'm thinking, now listen, I'm rebuking the devil. I can't stop praying. So I opened one eye and I looked down because I figured it's probably down here somewhere, you know, and I could just pick it up later and go on, you know what I'm saying? And so, but I, look, I looked down, I'm, I'm, I still got my hands on, I'm looking down, I don't see nothing down there. And so I just keep praying, God save her children, you know where they are, save them, Lord, save them. And she, she's just receiving from the Lord, God save them. And so finally I finished and I opened my eyes and that tic-tac was lodged on the bridge of her glasses right there. I promise you, I'm telling you the truth. I don't know how it got there unless she was bending down. I was bending, it just trajected. I don't know. Now, I, when I pray for people, if they go out in the spirit, that ain't me. That's God. I never push people down. But I want to tell you, in that moment, I was tempted to just push her over gently because there were people back there who would catch her. You know, she would... But I was thinking maybe would dislodge it before she woke up. Because I'm thinking if she opens her eyes, she's going to say, what in the world is that? And see that's stuck in the middle of her bridge. And, I, and now I'm praying, Lord, what am I going to, what am I going to do with this? What, what did this? So I start praying again, Lord, slay her in the spirit, slay her in the spirit. Lord, she ain't going down. She ain't going down. I'm not pushing, but she ain't going down. I said, okay, I just, 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 just go on down. So I'll go down here on this end, and I start praying with people over here. And I'm thinking, Lord, you, sh- Lord, you got to do something about this. And so, so we went and we prayed for everybody. And after the service was over, we were shaking hands with people at the back door. You know, I said, oh, hallelujah. And she came across. She said, Pastor, thank you for praying. I said, yes, ma'am. I believe God's going to save me. I noticed it was gone. She didn't say nothing about it, and I didn't say nothing either. But all I know is God still meets needs of people even when the leaders mess up because we serve an awesome God. Hallelujah. And my friend, I want to tell you this morning, that's why, that's why we need you to pray for us because we are human. According to the Fuller Institute on Church Growth, 80% of pastors say their family has been negatively impacted by the church. Focus on the Family did a study a few years ago, and they reported that 80% of pastors and 84% of pastors' wives suffer from discouragement and or depression. You know, Jesus said, when you get married, you no longer become two, but you become one flesh. And the pastor's wife, you know, that's part of my body. She's part of my body. And so much is expected of a pastor's wife. She is to support her husband's ministry, raise an ideal family, be a model Christian woman, help out in the church, while always being watched and talked about. When her husband is criticized, she takes it the hardest. When he's had a hard day, she stays up all night listening to him. People in the church expect her to serve in ways that she doesn't have time or gifting for. 
She often has great wisdom and a special ministry to offer the church, but is not wanted nor supported. Everything she says and does, even how she dresses, is under constant scrutiny. And who cares for the pastor's wife? Who is a safe person in the church for her to bring her needs to? Oftentimes there's no one. Because like anyone else, she has hurts and needs. But unlike others, she's expected to deal with them on her own. Because time and experience have proven people will betray your trust. Her heart often cries, why can't we be like normal people? There's got to be easier ways to make a living. My friends, this is just a glimpse of the reality of what a pastor's real world is like. And these are a few reasons why Paul instructs in 1 Timothy 5-7, let the elders that rule well be kind of worthy of double honor. So how can Christians and church members help? Three ways. Number one, pray for your pastor's family. Pray for guidance, for protection, for healthy friendships. Pray for their marriage, their family. Pray for inspiration. Pray for the anointing of God. Pray for the leadership team and for unity and for clarity. The second way you can help is protect your pastor's family. You do that by not allowing or participating in gossip or criticism. You can protect them. And third, encourage your pastor's family. Show them that you love them in a tangible way. Find ways that you can serve and problem solve to prevent overload. If you choose to take him out to dinner, don't turn it into a counseling session. I, I was talking to my, my doctor the other day, and he said, you know, he said, our professions are a lot alike. And I said, how's that? He said, well, he said, I don't know if it's like you, if, it's, if you're like this or not. I said, but oftentimes when people invite me out to dinner, we get together, they take that opportunity to ask me medical advice. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. I said, they don't ask me medical advice, but most of the time if they take us out to dinner, they usually turn it into a counseling session. And I said, that, you know, people, they mean well. They don't, they don't really realize they're doing that. But you see, friends, we appreciate you so much, and we thank you so much for taking this day to appreciate us and show your love for us. And I wanted to share with you a little bit not only from Pastor Moses' perspective, because we often read that story of how he disobeyed God, and we focus on the fact that he knocked himself out of the promised land because of that day. But when you look at everything that led up to that day, and you look at all the things that he was going through, and you see it from Pastor Moses' perspective, you get to realize, you know what? I probably would have done the same thing, but I would have done it 36 years earlier. <laughs> It did take him 38 years to get to that point. You know, when you push Moses, he does have a breaking point. You know, some of us would have been a little short-tempered, a little more short-fused, but you know, we're all human, and we all need God. And that's the great thing about God. He is patient with all of us. Amen. This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.